Well, it's just great being together. And um, let's move this out of the way. Do you know, yesterday I had an enormous privilege of uh, being in our New Frontiers church in Harpenden. And uh, Terry Virgo, who is the father figure of New Frontiers, he's in the spiel on websites, I'm sure it will say he's the founder, but I'm sure he would much rather not be called that. He doesn't bring any attention to himself at all. He's such a humble guy. And um, I would say he's the father figure of New Frontiers. And I have no idea how many churches are around the world now in many, many nations, but his influence has been enormous. And uh, for ourselves, um, we were actually, 50 years ago, in a sleepy seaside town on the south coast of England. I mean, just got married and um, not really knowing anyone there, just happened to work there. Uh, Jane came from the West Country. All her roots were uh, taken up as I whisked her back to, uh, to Sussex. And we didn't know Terry, but he was the pastor of the church there. And um, again, there was nothing there. But God, we saw him raise him up to be an extraordinary man of God. He is a prolific writer. And if you haven't heard, or if you haven't uh, read any of his books, I can, and you like reading, I want to recommend these books. He wrote a book about the life of Moses during the COVID lockdown. Um, I can recommend that to you. And... Uh, also, if you haven't actually heard him speak, can I just recommend that you get on your uh, uh, technology, Google Terry Virgo sermons, preaches or something like that, whatever you do, and just listen to some of his teaching, and particularly uh, on law and grace and what the church, uh, the importance of church and uh, how church operates. And it's a message that we still need to hear today um, and so I just want to recommend uh, I just want to recommend him to you, and if if, um, if you just uh, can spend half an hour, an hour this week, just some time listening to something that he brings, you will not be disappointed. And so anyway, it was a real privilege. He was telling us about different places that are around the world um, that he's been to, and um, this week he's in Harp. This weekend he's in Harpenden, as I say. Last weekend he was in Berlin. Um, it was the week before that. He was in the, in the Netherlands. He was going around about six different churches there. Um, I think he's been down to South Africa. He's been across to America. This guy is into his 80s now. So there is no excuse unless you are in your 80s this morning to slow down. Um, and I say that to myself and to anyone else who's around our age because... The temptation as you get older is to actually um, just to step back a bit. Uh, and I find that a real challenge. And yet I believe, <laughs> so funny today because uh, my wife Jane here, she, we were just having a cup of tea and just uh, reading this morning. And was it in uh, Moses? Was it Moses? It was, uh, Moses started doing something for God when he was 75 years old. What age am I? <laughs> How does God speak? <laughs> so I have to work that little one out for myself. 
Um, so anyway, whatever stage you're at in your Christian life, keep going on and um, you will not be disappointed. Uh, right, what are we doing? Yeah, we're looking um, at uh, Psalm 123 this week. And for those of you who are just visiting today, um, we're going through uh, a series on Psalms 120 to 134, which are, are known uh, to theologians and to others as, uh, as, as Psalms of Ascent. And that word ascent, it has that meaning of, uh, of going up to something. And uh, for the, the, Hebrew, the, the Jewish mind, uh, there was that longing to go up to Jerusalem, which was a city set on a hill, that longing to go to where God was, that longing to meet where God was in the tabernacle, in the temple. It was the, where he dwelt, and people had to come, and they had to go to meet with God. Thank, thankfully now, we do not have to go to a place, as we've been singing this morning. We can come uh, to the presence of God like we have this morning through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, through his grace, through his mercy. And so there's this, this sense of uh, that the, the Jewish people would have had been on a journey. They would have been walking. It's, it's a common theme all the way through, this idea of walking, um, journeying together with God. And um, you might think, well, that, these psalms were written years and years ago, which they were, but their relevance for 2023 could not be greater, believe me. And so I just wanted to uh, pray that this morning the Holy Spirit just comes amongst us and reveals something of his grace, something that you need to know individually, but as corporately as a church together, because there's a message here for all of us. So Holy Spirit, we just want to invite you this morning. Lord, you've already come amongst us, and we just want to hold on to that. Lord, the, the thought that we can be in your presence is extraordinary. Lord, I pray that you will forgive us for being over-familiar and taking for granted the fact that we can actually be together this morning. We can worship freely. Oh Lord, we just come to you. And we ask, open our eyes, open our hearts to what you want through your spirit for us individually and for us as a church. Amen. So, yeah, the, we're looking through... Um, a series at the moment with Trinity Church, and it's based on this book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And this morning we're looking at discipleship in an instant society, and we're looking at service. And some of what I'm going to be saying is in this book. Um, if you like reading, it's excellent. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, a translation of the Bible, um, highlights so easily. It's very readable and I can recommend it to you. And um, so some of that is going to come out this morning. So let's just have a look at uh, Psalm 123. If we can just have that up on the screen. 
And um, I've got it in the New International Version and also the message. So, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sits enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant of contempt from the proud. And then the message translation. I look to you, heaven-dwelling God, look up to you for help. Like servants alert to their master's commands, like a maiden attending her lady, we are waiting, sorry, we are watching and waiting, holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy, God, mercy, We've been kicked around long enough, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, kicked when we're down by arrogant brutes. <laughs> Take it as you will. Does it ring bells? You don't need to answer me. It may ring bells with you, some of this. And yet, this was written centuries ago, but its relevance is as true today as it was then. And so this sense of pilgrimage, this sense of uh, walking together would have been very much in the Hebrew mind, very much uh, with uh, God's people uh, as they went uh, on these, uh, this, this journey together. And um, for many of them, they would have been, uh, God's people would have been in other nations over the centuries. They would, have, they would have longed to have been in the land that God had promised them. They, would have, um, they were in Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt, and it seemed like there was no way out. They were often in exile in other nations who ruled over them, and yet there was this uh, identity amongst God's people. I believe that they longed for God. There was this walk, this journey, that the, the one thing they wanted was the presence of God, and the one place they could get it was in the temple in Jerusalem, and you know, it's a little bit like that for ourselves. Um, way back in the, oh, it must be 1990s, I was living in uh, southeast London at the time, and one day I had to go up to Canary Wharf for some uh, training or something to do with work, I can't remember. Now, in those days, Canary Wharf was very, very new. It was um, a, massive, uh, um, a massive business centre, and uh, well, I think it still is. But the, there was a new railway that uh, was built all around that area. And uh, it was called the Docklands Light Railway, which opened in 1978. No, 1987, sorry. So a few years after that, I'm, I, I'm thinking to myself, because um, I very rarely went up to London, and I thought, I must want to find out what it's like on the Docklands Light Railway. Now... Um, you probably know if you live or work in London that the Docklands Light Railway, they do not have drivers. They're, they're automatic. I presume they still are. Uh, they're all very clever in those days. Today, we perhaps don't take much notice of it. So I think to myself, I'm going to be uh, 
A little bit curious, I want to journey on the Docklands Light Railway, so off I come off Canary Wharf and I plan my route uh, to get off at a certain station uh, on my way home. Everything's going fine until um, at one station everybody seems to get off out, out of our carriage. Uh, I didn't really think much about it. There was an announcement, but with my hearing problems, I just didn't hear it. Or uh, if I did, it didn't make any sense to me. And so I just stayed on the train, and off it goes again. And then a couple of minutes later, it goes off the track into a siding. And then it stops. Lights go out. Um, there's no movement, there's no driver, there's no conductor on board, there's no one. And there were no mobiles in those days either. So what do I do? I'm in a bit of a bit of a trouble here. Um, uh, in the end, I realised up on the side, up on the carriage, there was an emergency uh, chain that you pull. But underneath it, it said something like, if you pull this chain um, when it's not an emergency or something, you will get fined 50 quid. I, I don't know what it is, probably about 250 now. I thought, well, I'll press the chain. I thought, well... Let's see what happens. Because it looked like I was going to be staying there all night uh, or wherever the train was going. Eventually, there was some, a voice came over the uh, system. Um, I can't even remember what was said, even if I heard it. And a few minutes later, quite a few minutes later, the train starts again. It goes back to the station where I was actually... Um, uh, where, where everybody had got off. The station was packed with people. I tell you, you could not move. And I was, I was there, and the doors opened. I was the only one who got out. I really messed up the Docklands Light Railway that day. Goodness knows what the people on the platform were thinking. Was there, where's their train? Where's the train? So anyway, I get up very sheepishly, get out, and just quietly disappear. <laughs> and um, uh, I eventually got home. Um, but you know what? So often in life, we can end up in a siding. It seems as if everything's going fine, and then all of a sudden, we just go on a different track. Everything stops. Ah. Oh. And you're by yourself. Your thoughts are your own. What do I do? But thankfully, as we've been hearing this morning, there is an emergency uh, chain, or whatever you call it, emergency pull, that you can pull. And so although you might think this is rather a simple illustration, there is that sense of when God's people were, uh, from generation to generation, were often in a siding, in a different nation, and there was that longing to get out of that situation. And um, so we're going to just look at uh, a couple of very simple points, really, um, from this. There's a longing in, in every one of our hearts. It's, it's part of our, our DNA, uh, I believe, that we have that, uh, that longing for freedom, that longing for uh, encountering God. Uh, we long to be in that position where, yes, We've encountered God. It will carry on all our lives until we meet him. And so 
What can we learn from this passage? Well, verses 1 and 2, very simply, it just says, I lift up my eyes to you who sits enthroned in heaven. That is a great place to be. <laughs> Lifting up our eyes to you who sits enthroned. He's the one who covers everything. He is the one who is the creator of the world. He is the one in whom we are created in his image this morning. And so our expectation is that uh, our, our response, our attitude should be like this, like servants alert to their master's command, like a maiden attending her lady. There's a humility and accountability in our lives that cries out to God. We're all in the same boat. We're all on that same doctrine like railway experience, if I can put it that way, at some point in our lives. And yet God in, is enthroned. Where's your vision this morning? There's this idea of eyes and looking that comes out in this psalm. Where are your eyes focused this morning? To whom are you looking? Are you looking to uh, this theory or that theory that, that just might be the answer? Um, I, 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 where are your eyes? Uh, are you easily distracted? I, I confess, I so easily get distracted, especially when there's a call to prayer. <laughs> Other things, there's distractions that come our way. And so there's an accountability to God. But what grace he's provided, what mercy he's given to us. The moment we look to God, he comes down to us. Let me just give you a sample, a little taste from this book. Um, this is what it says. Too often we think of religion as a far-off, mysteriously run bureaucracy to which we apply for assistance when we feel the need we go to the local branch office and direct the clerk, in brackets, sometimes called the pastor, to fill out our order for God. Then we go home and wait for God to be delivered to us according to the specifications that we've set down. But that is not the way it works. And if we thought about it uh, for two consecutive minutes, we would not want it to work that way. If God is God at all, he must know more about our needs than we do. If God is God at all, he must be more in touch with the reality of our thoughts, our emotions, our bodies than we are. If God is God at all, he must have a more comprehensive grasp of the interrelations in our families and communities and nations than we do. That is so reassuring that in the midst of the situation, that whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, that he is sovereign God. He is one that we can lift our eyes to this morning. What is it that in the, in the morning when you wake up? What, what, what is it that uh, comes to your mind? Is it, oh Lord, here's a new day. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Or is it, oh, not another day. I've got to deal with this and I've got to deal with that. And our thinking gets uh, submerged. But I want to encourage you, first thing you do in the morning is to lift your eyes, just simply, Lord, thank you, a new day. Thank you, a new day for your grace. Thank you for a new day for your mercy. So let's look to God. Um, let's just move on to uh, the second verse, verse three. The second thing is 
not just looking to God, but looking to God for his mercy. And there's this second element in service that has to do with expectation. And this is where the psalmist comes out. He cries out to God, mercy, God, mercy. It's the cry of his heart. I remember when I was uh, struggling in my late teens with what life was all about. And uh, it had some Christian upbringing, but... There was a point where I just thought, what is going on? Why is God, who I've been taught to believe in, where is he? How how can he relate to to me individually? And I remember being in my thinking was, oh, I was a knot. Uh, I was struggling all over the place. And then I just remember getting down, I think I probably just got down on my knees, and I said, God, if you're there, you've got to do something, because I don't don't know where you are. The psalmist had the the same word, but he put it better. Mercy, Lord. Mercy, God. Mercy. That's our point of response when we are in that siding of our lives where the train has stopped, where things have seemed to just... Uh, literally stopped and you do not know what to do. Suddenly we're exposed, we're dependent on somebody else and that is where our great Lord Jesus comes in. In the psalmist case, in verse 3, it says that he con- he'd, he'd endured much contempt, he'd endured much ridicule and uh, arrogance, or as the message put it, we've been kicked around long enough, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, kicked when we're down by arrogant brutes. That may well have been your experience in life, or it may be that it is now. Maybe that resonates with you in some way. Again, I just recall an occasion when I was working where, um, where something of this came in, and uh, I was dis- discriminated against and had to take a salary reduction, a downgrading. It didn't do too much for me. Uh, you feel humiliated. You feel... You feel like, what's going on? Out of control. You you, you get anger begins to to rise and bitterness. How dare they do this to me? What rights have I got? And yet, God used that situation. Um, But we can get into that uh, situation. And there is only one way. And it's to do with God's mercy. Uh, mercy, someone said, is the compassionate treatment of those in distress. It has that sense of forgiveness, benevolence and kindness. Mercy is the fruit of compassion. I didn't know Emma was going to read from um, uh, um, Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> because if she had... Well, no... But I was, I've, this is down in my notes here, Ephesians 2. This is what God has done for you. This is where I was at. This is where you were at if you're a Christian now. And if you aren't a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, this is how Paul sums up. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Or, or again, another translation would say, in the, the way in which you used to walk. Uh, When you followed the ways of the world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us 
also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. That, that was what we were. We were dead in our sins. We were dead. We had no life at all. There was no life in a dead body. Like the rest, we were nature, uh, uh, by nature, objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. It is by grace that you have been saved. So that is the emergency cord. That is the, yeah, that's the emergency cord that you pull when you are in that situation. What extraordinary kindness, what extraordinary grace. Uh, it's already come out so often this morning. But um, how do we respond to this? Just a number thirdly, looking to God with hope and expectation. It really is so simple, our response, that we miss it. And it's Romans 12, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, <clears throat> to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That is what we do <clears throat> in view of God's mercy to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So all our service, all that we do emanates, starts from our servitude to God, from our serving him. The, the message translation says this, and it's so vivid for these first few verses of Romans 12. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's a good place to start in the morning, isn't it? <laughs> Just place your day as an offering to God. Uh, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't, and I love this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. What a word that is for us today uh, in our culture. Don't become so well-adjusted to it that you fit into it even without thinking. Instead, fix your attention. Again, this idea of looking, eyes, you'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to the, its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed uh, well maturity in you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what, God, uh, by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are or what we do for him. Interestingly, this psalm has got nothing to do with actually serving in the church. It's all about our serving God as our priority. That, that's, that's our priority. But there is a challenge. And Romans 12, just carrying on, I'm just reading it from the NIV. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, so these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, 
and each member belongs to the, all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Everyone has got a gift from God. Everyone. There's no exclusion. Not my words, Scripture's words. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is in contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, that word again, mercy, let him do it cheerfully. That's our response. <laughs> we've, we've heard tonight, with, sorry, today with some of the changes that are going on uh, amongst us, uh, a great opportunity to be able to serve and I would encourage everyone to, uh, to, to look at that list and say, what can I offer to you? But it's not, I've got to do it because I've been told to do it or I've been asked. It comes because your heart is saying, I'm, I'm offering myself as a daily sacrifice to you, Lord. What do you want me to do? And out of that motivation, we serve one another Romans 15, 7 says this, Accept one another then as Christ accepted you. Why? In order to bring praise to God. It's all about bringing praise to God. <laughs> it's not about saying it's about praise, praising me or somebody else. No, no, no. no. Accept one another because we're told to. No. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Has Christ accepted you this morning? If the answer is yes, then accept one another as well. And why? In order to bring praise to God. There's so much in Romans 12, 12, 13, 14, 15. If you've got a few minutes this, this week, read through it and you'll see the response that God is calling you to. Let me just finish with one more quote uh, from, this, from this book. And then we'll be uh, coming back to uh, the musicians, if they can just come back. Um, and we'll just have a time of response to this. As Psalm 123 prays, the transition from oppression, in brackets, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, from oppression to freedom... Await your word of mercy to a new servitude like servants alerting to their master's command. It puts us in the way of learning how to use our freedom more appropriately under the lordship of the merciful God. I think that's so helpful. You know, it's not freedom to do what we just want to do ourselves. It's, it's freedom under the lordship of the merciful God. The consequences are all positive. I have never yet heard a servant Christian complain of the oppressiveness of this servitude. I have never yet heard a servant Christian rail against the restrictions of her service. A servant Christian is the freest person on earth. That's a great way to finish. A servant Christian is the freest person on earth. We're going to sing a song. Uh, it's one by Graham Kendrick. It's called The Servant King. But I want to ask you to respond to it because it brings out the heart of what we've been saying this morning. And I just want to encourage you that if you, if you don't know uh, what it is to follow Jesus, if you're just here out of curiosity or you've been brought, but something this morning has, 
has touched your heart, then don't go away without talking to someone and come and talk to us afterwards because it says here, this is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. So this is what I just really want to encourage you with this morning, to try and encourage my own heart as well uh, to... Uh, uh, just to say thank you Lord and then it says at the last verse so let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him each other's needs to prefer for it is God we're serving